Listening to Condé Nast Traveler's podcast, Women Who Travel, you will be transported to the ancient ruins of Pompeii, to New York City's most storied neighborhoods, and to the jaw-dropping peaks of Bhutan. It's the best of what you love about traveling, experiencing different people, cultures, and perspectives, all from the comfort of your own home. Each week, join host and global journalist Lali Alikoglu as she shares her own experiences along with those of self-identifying women travelers from all over the globe. How do the bestie comedian pairs of Sheer Zamata and Nicole Byer navigate travel together? What can you realistically expect from your first global solo travel experience? How is dance used as a tool for healing in Indigenous Australian communities? If these questions piqued your interest, pack your bags and go on a journey with women who travel. Available wherever you get your podcasts. These early trips are filled with delight, which continues over the course of my travels. The delight is always connected to discovery. And often, in my case, the discovery is connected to things I get to taste. It doesn't have to be fancy food. It can be utterly simple and cheap. Every time I taste something delicious, what fascinates me is who came up with the idea. What can I learn about it? What does it say about the people who made it? There's so much to the culture of food that makes me feel alive. How it grows, how it brings people together. Food's ability to express our identity, community, creativity, our values. In today's episode, world-famous restaurateur Danny Meyer takes us back to where it all began for him. A family trip to Europe which opened his young eyes to what the experience of eating food together could be like. In this series, we blend immersive first-person stories with mindfulness prompts to help you restore yourself at any time of the day. I'm Rohan, and I'll be your guide on this episode of Meditative Story. From time to time, we'll pause the story ever so briefly for me to come in with guidance for a deeper connection to the story and what's happening in your own experience as you listen. The body relaxed. The body breathing. Your senses open. Your mind open. Meeting the world. Just before my 12th birthday, my dad, who was in the travel business back in St. Louis, found himself negotiating to lease two different hotels in Rome. The good news for me and my family was that his negotiations were taking place not only during our two-week spring vacation, but also during my 12th birthday. That was the first time I ever went to Rome, and I remember on the actual day of my birthday having a 12-course pasta-tasting dinner. It was a revelation to me. A complete revelation. Just the discovery of all these flavors and foods and people and places that I had never experienced growing up. The next day, 
My dad took us all to a famous old restaurant in Trust Everett called Dameo Pataka. Immediately it hits me. The garlicky wafts of tomato sauce. The warm laughter around the tiny tables. All of my senses are suddenly awake because I've never seen a restaurant like this and I've never had food like this. There was the pasta, of course, and the platters overflowing with artichokes. I had had artichokes back home in St. Louis, you know, the big round ones which my mom would sometimes boil to death, the leaves then dipped into melted butter, but I'd never seen these long artichokes fried and smashed into Carchofiala Judea, and the roast baby lamb, a bacchio, with its odd cuts and tiny bones that are so succulent. What a place and what a meal. Can you imagine sitting there at young Danny's table? What would most capture your attention? Smells? The tastes? The spectacle? It's an entirely different world from what I know growing up in St. Louis. Back home, I'm used to the flavors of the American Midwest. The mellow experience of growing up there as a kid in the 1960s, a somewhat repetitive culinary experience. Think curbside burgers, frozen custard, St. Louis-style pizza topped with Provel cheese, which is basically a lot of different cheeses combined to the point where it doesn't really taste like cheese at all. But in Rome, Everything tastes exactly as you'd hoped it would. And the food in Rome was the great discovery of my life. I would go on to visit Europe every few years as a kid, and now as often as possible as an adult. These early trips are filled with delight, which continues over the course of my travels. The delight is always connected to discovery. I've come to believe that this sense of discovery can be as nourishing as the food itself. But discovery means different things to different people. For some people, discovery is about seeing something unexpected. For others, it's about doing something that they didn't know they were capable of. In my case, the discovery is connected to things I get to taste. My passion for food is the doorway that connects me most deeply Every time I taste something delicious, what fascinates me is who came up with the idea. What can I learn about it? What does it say about the people who made it? I'll never forget the first time I finally figured out that almost every Roman trattoria has the exact same pastas on the menu, and every one of them is related. There's the cacio e pepe, which is simply spaghetti with pecorino cheese, olive oil, and lots of black pepper. Then, by simply adding guanciale, the bacon that comes from the cheek of the pig, it becomes spaghetti alla gricia. Or, by adding eggs, that same exact recipe becomes spaghetti alla carbonara. And if you omit the eggs and add tomato sauce instead, you get spaghetti alla matriciana. 
four different pastas, all related. What impresses me isn't always the complexity of the idea. Sometimes it's the simplicity. Something that impacted me from a young age about Italy was the emphasis on ingredients. Great Italian cooks really cherish and respect their ingredients. A little olive oil and salt doesn't provide much disguise if the tomato itself isn't perfectly sun-ripened or if the basil isn't fragrant. I remember a spaghetti alla carbonara, melanzane alla parmigiana, vongole verraci, the tiny clams that would open just as they were kissed by the garlic, olive oil, and spaghetti with which they were meant to marry. All so simple and unadorned. One of the things I discovered about myself in Rome that I prize wherever I find it is an Italian word called sprezzatura. Sprezzatura is what happens when the food or the painting or the athletic endeavor or the architecture comes across as having been effortless. And yet, the quality belies that. In other words, you can dig into a bowl of pasta that is so amazing and makes you so happy. And you know how much work must have gone into it. And yet, you look at that bowl of pasta and it appears to be effortless. That's sprezzatura. Today, that very ethos informs everything I do. How can this feel more timeless? How can the dining room be a little less designed, the dessert a little less composed? It's a mindset of being understated, pared back, letting the fundamentals shine. It's so easy to fall into the trap of believing that more is better. But whenever I find myself thinking that way, I try to remind myself of the simple bowls of pasta that I first discovered in Rome, and that little things can make all the difference. What little things can you notice right now around you? Even if they seem familiar, can you see, hear, or feel them with real freshness? There can be so much joy to being a tourist wherever you are. In Rome, I also discovered the way the restaurant itself can transform a meal. The earthy terracotta floors, the checkered tablecloths, domed brick ceiling, and a warm glow of table lanterns. The tables are closer together than I've ever seen in St. Louis. In the trattorias of Rome, no matter where you sit, you feel the buzzing energy of everyone around you. And it's that energy, the locals, the music of motorcycles everywhere, all around, I find an irresistibly chaotic cacophony. And it almost always leads to a really good meal. There's something about the different kinds of energy that heighten my senses. I feel connected to the people around me. Still today, there's nowhere I feel more at home or more alive than at a trattoria. I think I learned from these trattorias to pay attention to the tiniest details. 
I'll never forget how odd it was when I first came to New York and I realized that unlike St. Louis where I'd grown up, you don't get a little lemon zest with your espresso. And why was it that in New York, unlike Rome, the cappuccino was known for how tall the foam was, almost as if someone was trying to create the Matterhorn Mountain on top of the cup. And now today, something that you would also never see in Rome, New York places always try to design the foam. So many people go in search of grand revelations. But I find discoveries everywhere I look. Even in the little things, like the foam in my espresso. Italy is still my favorite place to go in search of these tiny discoveries. There's just something about Rome that to this day, I feel like I must have lived there in a previous life. I go to the market and smell every single thing that can be smelled. Some people look at me like I'm crazy smelling everything, but those same people look to me like characters straight out of a Fellini film. I stop for three or four coffees, even when I don't need coffee. Not because I do that in my real life, but because how can I not? I notice the milk, the cups, the tiny chocolate or treats served on the side. And every time I pass one of those iconic drinking fountains, the ones you see all over Rome, I stop and drink from it. Like the city itself, like travel itself, the fountains of Rome rejuvenate me to continue my tour of discovery. We've reached the end of Danny's story. In just a moment, I'll guide you through a closing meditation. I have to be honest, I had to look up sprezzatura in the dictionary. It was a new word and idea to me, but I love it. In one place, I saw it translated as studied carelessness. When something has the appearance of having just been thrown together, but actually has been the result of meticulous skilled work. So Italian all of which made me wonder, what would be the most sprezzatura of meditation techniques? And the one that came to mind right away is one called noting. So that's what we're going to try a little bit of now. So let's get ready. If you're sitting, sitting comfortably. If you're standing, standing comfortably. However your body is, seeing if you can let it express the qualities of both alertness and relaxation. Uprightness in the spine, supporting alertness. Softness in the belly, supporting relaxation and openness. Enjoying resting your awareness in the body. Letting your awareness fill the whole of your body. From the touch of your feet on the ground to the top of your head. Being present. Present in the body. Simple, whole and here. And now that we've established ourselves in awareness of the body, we're going to play a little game. And the rules are quite simple. At any one time, there'll be a particular aspect of your inner experience which is most prominent, which most stands out, where your attention is drawn to. Be interested in what that is, and the game is simply to say its name out loud. And if you're not sure what's most prominent, then simply say, not sure. And by definition, you're naming what is happening. 
That might not be clear, so let me do an example. Tension. Touch. Tingling. Planning. Thinking. Not sure. Calm. That's all it is. What we're doing is being aware of what's most prominent inside ourselves and saying its name out loud. Nothing more to it. It's actually quite straightforward. So do give that a go yourself. And if it doesn't feel right to say the words out loud, just say them internally to yourself. I'll start again, and when I stop, it's over to you. Touch. Tingling. Not sure. Grateful. Calm. Okay, now you. Just naming what is happening while it's happening. That might have felt odd, or it might have felt great. Either way, this is one of my favourite mindfulness techniques around, because if mindfulness is knowing what's happening inside ourselves whilst it's happening, then doing this noting technique is as pure a form of mindfulness as we can get. Okay. Letting your awareness fill the whole body again. Noticing the energy that's here, the momentum from having done the exercise. Building back our reserves of stability and balance. And let's give it another go. Again, I'll start off and then it's over to you. Just naming what's happening in your inner experience, whatever's most prominent. If that's a physical sensation, then naming that physical sensation. If it's a mental process, naming that mental process. There are only a few simple rules to keep in mind. Keep the rhythm going nicely so that your mindfulness is good and constant. If you're thinking about dinner, the thing you should note is thinking rather than dinner, since what is happening is the thinking, not the dinner. And if you're not sure what's happening, then just note not sure, and you'll be right. Oh, and have fun. Again, I'll start you off. Tingling. Not sure. Relaxation. Itching. Amusement. Thinking. Now, over to you. Nicely done. I hope that was fun. And I also hope that you can see why I think it's a technique of real sprezzatura. Because while deceptively simple on the outside, it belies the fact that what you need to do to make it happen is a really strong foundation in mindfulness and an alive and alert mind. You might have really connected with this technique or it might not have worked for you this first time around. That's totally normal. If you do like it, remember it's entirely portable. Every moment is a chance to note what's happening inside. Every moment is another stop on your tour of discovery.
On behalf of the team at Meditative Story, thank you for spending time with us today. We love creating the show for you. And if the show serves you in a meaningful way, we'd love to hear from you. Would you take a minute right now to write us a review in your podcast app? When you leave a review, it really inspires our team. And we're a group who derives so much energy from understanding how meditative story impacts you. It's also a way for you to pay it forward by helping others discover the show. So if leaving a review speaks to you today, we'd really appreciate it. Meditative Story is a Wait What original in partnership with Thrive Global. The show is produced at the studio Inside SY Partners in New York. Our executive producers are Darren Triff, June Cohen, Ariana Huffington and Dan Katz. Our producer is Sabrina Fahi. Our supervising producer is Jai Punjabi. Our curator is Carrie Goldstein. Original music and sound design is by the Holiday Brothers. Mixing and mastering by Brian Pugh. Special thanks to Anne Sachs, Juliana Stone, Summer Matice, Monica Lee, Madison Odenborg, Lindsay Benoit O'Connell, Libby Duke, Smriti Sinha, and Sarah Sandman. And I'm Rohan Gunatilaka, creator of the Buddhify Meditation app and your host. Visit meditativestory.com to find the transcript for this episode. On the next episode of Meditative Story... Having an identical twin means being able to see someone who looks so similar to you and to have such an intimacy growing up that you can really see a parallel universe of choices that can be made or taken. I think we all have an imaginary twin, that alternate reality version of ourselves who made a different decision or took a different path or never had that injury or illness. We can all imagine living those alternate lives and occupying those different bodies. And we can either torment ourselves with that, or we can embrace and celebrate the creativity and intention that goes into being our unique selves 